Yo, this is Pastor Tito here, and this is the Revolutionary Podcast. Welcome. If you are joining and logging on, watching for the first time, my name is again Pastor Tito, and we are doing, at least I am doing, a study on the book of Acts throughout all of 2022. And one of the things that we are going to do a little bit different today is due to some technical difficulties, I am recording my sermon uh, with you right now. And so it was an amazing experience to be able to go through and see such, again, beauty and wonder in God's word as we just comb through it and slow down. And before we actually dive right in, uh, I want to do a little trivia challenge with you. I want you to think right now, how would you answer this question? If there was a million dollars on the line, right? How would you answer this question? What is the longest narrative. What is the longest, most detailed story in the New Testament? I'll wait. Think about it. The longest narrative in the New Testament. If you said Jesus, good, but you got to be a little more specific than that. I'll just help you right now, okay? So this is important. The longest narrative in the New Testament is the death and resurrection of Jesus. Both Matthew, Mark, I say both, all four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all contain the death and resurrection of Jesus. And regardless of how fast and things move, they all slow down and provide a lot of details when it comes to that part of the story. Why? Well, because that is the most important part in human history. What has happened? Jesus dying on the cross for us and conquering sin and death once and for all, proving that he is not just a good man, a good teacher, but God himself when he rose from the dead. That is the most important story, the most important event in human history. Now, what's the second longest story in the entire New Testament. And if you say Jesus again, well, you're kind of right. Because Jesus is in the story, but it's not necessarily about him. The second longest story and narrative in the New Testament is the spiritual death and spiritual resurrection of a man named, of a man named Saul. Saul of Tarsus, who many of us affectionately know as the Apostle Paul. See, his story, his conversion story, which we're going to read today in Acts 9, repeats itself throughout the book of Acts as Paul himself retells the story because that was the most important moment in his life. And also, Luke makes sure to catch all of the repetitions and the details of the story because there's so much in it for us today. And we're going to look at it right now as we are going to observe not only just what happened to Saul, but what happens to us when we are confronted with the kindness that kills, that comes from Christ. So I'm going to read the whole story. Uh, we find ourselves in Acts 9, and I'm going to read the verses 1 all the way through 30. Starting in verse 1, here we go. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. 
He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, which was outside of Jerusalem and outside of Israel, so that he found, if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. We're going to come back to that as he was, he was after followers of capital T, capital W, the way. That's interesting description of Christians there. Continues on, he says that he might bring prisoners and bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. But get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Then the men who were traveling with him, Saul, stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could not see anything. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was able to see for, he was able, unable, excuse me, to see for three days, and he did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to a street called Straight. The Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus there named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. Uh, Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, to kings and to Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And Ananias went and entered the house. He placed his hands on him and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time, which was actually three years. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogue. He is the son of God, he would say. So even though he was there for three years, immediately from the day those scales fell off his eyes and he was saved, immediately he was presenting that message that Jesus is the son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on his name, who came here with the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priest? But Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had passed, the, uh, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night intending to kill him. But the disciples, Saul's disciples, okay, they took him by night, lowered him in a large basket through an opening wall. They saved his life. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them 
how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. See, Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So that was an interesting story. Again, the second longest narrative that again repeats itself throughout the book of Acts and in other places. And so what does that story have to do with us? Well, first off, we need to make sure we ask, what does this story have to do with God? What does this story tell us about who God is? Well, as we look at that, let's look at four main points as we review the story. Number one, we see that Saul was confronted by Jesus on the way as he was persecuting followers of the way, right? The, the followers of the way was, was really the first documented description of members of, you know, just Christians, like the, those who were following Christ. Before they were called Christians, they were called followers of the way. Why? Well, because there was a different way about them. It was very notable. I mean, these Christians stood out because of the way they lived and the way they spoke. See, they not only mentioned, and this is probably the most important thing, is that they constantly were telling people that there was another way. Because Jesus described himself one time as saying, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one can go to the Father except through me. And Jesus proved it by dying on the cross, paying the penalty of our sins, taking the punishment that we should have had. And he took it on the cross, rose from the dead three days later, fulfilling every rule, every regulation, appeasing the wrath of God so that we can experience the love of God for all eternity. See, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so the members of the way kept on telling everybody that there is another way. Well, there's actually only one way to be saved, and his name is Jesus. But they didn't, they not only had a way of speaking, they had a way of living. See, as the love of God transformed the lives of these disciples, it transformed their love and the way they lived. And so they had a different means, a way about them, a way of loving that was different than most, a way of serving, a way of viewing the world, a way of viewing life, a way of viewing death that was marked by the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and the love of God. So this is who they were, and it should cause us, any Christian, to pause and reflect. What way, in what way do I speak of Jesus? And is there a different way about me in the way I live? Am I fitting in or am I standing out? See, the believers back then, they were unafraid, unashamed to stand out and to draw attention not to themselves, but to draw attention to Christ. And that should be the same for us. And so here Saul is confronted by Jesus on the way as he is persecuting followers of the way. And while Jesus shows up, Paul, or in this case Saul, is confronted with an amazing reality. He is going the wrong way. He is going the wrong way. He thought he was on the right path, doing the right thing, only to realize when here is this Jesus that he thought was a charlatan. He thought it was a fake. He thought these Christians were nuts, were crazy, converting and twisting the scriptures that he loved, which is the Old Testament, which was the Jewish scriptures, 
he thought he was doing the right thing and he came to realize, uh-oh, I'm the one that's wrong. I'm going the wrong way. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Have you ever been driving and found yourself going the wrong way of traffic? It's happened to me a couple times, uh, especially that was in downtown Tampa. Uh, it happened to me as I was driving and there's a lot of one-way lanes there. And I didn't, I wasn't paying attention because some lanes, there are two ways and some are one. You really got to pay attention. And I wasn't. And I made a left when I should have made a right. And then I see all of these headlights going my way. And that's when I realized I'm going the wrong way. But thank God I was far away from them. I was able to do a three-point turn really quick and turn it around and off I went. But the thing is, okay, I realized I was going the wrong way and I had to make a choice. Keep going and deal with whatever the consequences that, that's going to happen next. Or turn around. And that's what happened to Saul in that moment. See, when he realized he was going the wrong way, what happened? He got knocked off his horse. He got knocked off his horse and fell down. So there's a term that's called being knocked off your high horse. Or sometimes it said, look, you need to get down from your high horse, which is a description of you need to be humble. Because horses were always a symbol of pride and strength. And to be knocked off your high horse is to understand, is to be humbled and realize that I am not able enough, I'm not strong enough. It's a decision to not rely on oneself and be prideful. That's what happened to him. He was knocked off his high horse and something beautiful happened. See, here's the thing about humility, guys, is that humility is actually very essential to intimacy, Okay? Humility is key to intimacy. There is no way that you can grow in a loving relationship, a romantic one, if there is no humility. Uh, you know, that's what intimacy is. Intimacy requires humility. It requires you to be vulnerable with another person, with a friend, with, a, again, a romantic relationship. Same applies with God. Because while Saul is on his butt, what does he say? Who are you? He asks the question. And how... Does Jesus reply back? I am Jesus. He reveals himself to Paul. Why? Because he was humbled. And again, humility is key to intimacy. And the more, guys, we reject pride and we humble ourselves before the Lord, we will walk in a greater intimacy and knowledge of Christ. Remember, God rejects the proud but exalts the humble. And he brings them up, not so we can have bigger and better and happier things. No, we are exalted to the point that we can see him, know him, and grow closer to him. So what happened to Saul is what happened to us when we choose to get off our high horse and look to Christ. So after he was confronted on the way, Saul was blinded okay, by his pride and his ignorance. Again, I mentioned that he just came to realize I'm the one that's wrong. He was claiming that the Christians were wrong. That's what he was saying. They're the ones that are wrong. I'm the one that's right. And then at that one moment, everything changed. When he must have heard those words, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, that must have been like, like a lightning bolt to his chest. I'm the one in the wrong. I'm wrong. And see, he didn't see it because, again, because of his pride and his ignorance. See, Saul was a rising star in the Jewish community at that time. I mean, he was a, a genius. He was a brain. And every, he just had access that most people didn't have. And he learned because he was smart. 
He learned, he thought he had it all figured out. He thought he knew, I'm serving the Lord, I'm doing this, persecuting these people, uh, helping and aiding and abetting the murder of Stephen, arresting innocent people. He thought, he thought he was doing what was right. And there's a part of him that must have just gone numb because he knew that the very leaders and that they were literally breaking the law in order to preserve the law. They were breaking the law of God in the way that they were treating these Christians in order to preserve their interpretation of the law. He had these spiritual scales that were blinding him, right? In the story, you saw that these scales fell off and these weren't real scales, so he didn't have things like that on him. They were spiritual in nature. And when I think of scales, you know, I, we can tend to think of a couple things, maybe like fish or reptiles, maybe snakes. See, there was a demonic, a demonic lie that had been blinding Saul his whole life. See, that's how you and I are born. We are born blinded because of sin. That's what we are, blinded because of sin. And it is only the love of God and the light of the gospel that can remove those things. You know, we all have these blinders on. To kind of use another horse analogy from getting off your high horse, have you ever seen horses with blinders on, right? These things that go on either side of their face. And the reason why horses have blinders is so that they can look forward only because horses are easily spooked. They're easily distracted. And so the blinders are there to help them to focus, to stay on track and to keep going. See, the enemy all right, only wants you to see just enough truth to keep you going straight, to keep you going straight on the road away from God. He doesn't want you to notice and, and see the fullness of the truth of God. He only wants you to have a narrow-minded view of the truth, just enough that you think you know enough, but you don't, so that you can stay focused away from him. So I'm here to tell you, listen, there is so much more. We can't be afraid of all of and embracing the truth that, that is there. But we have to be careful because that's what sin does. Sin creates blinders on. And even as believers, when we leave sin unchecked in our lives, that's now pride. Remember, humility is key to intimacy. But when we allow sin to go unchecked and unrepented of, or, or we take the, the grace of God too liberally, and we look, we can do whatever we want because we can ask God for forgiveness. When we do that, no, we create these blinders that keep us and distracts us from truly growing and knowing. And guys, I want you to know, we, we need to be careful because we all have blind spots to begin with, okay? We all have blind spots. This is why it is so important to know the truth of God so that the Holy Spirit can guide us and lead us to view those blind spots ourselves. But also, this is why we need the people of God in our lives. People that love you and people that you can trust that can recognize and help you to see blind spots when you don't see them. I'm grateful for my wife. She is one that has my back and we are there to help each other to catch each other's blind spots. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for the friends that I have, the family that I have, because they help me to see what I can't see because of either my pride or my ignorance. So it's important. We all need that. And so after Saul was blinded, he was amazed at the horror of his sin and the beauty of Christ. Now, you saw that, and we talked about it in the story where he was blinded for three days. 
and he didn't eat or drink for three days. Though his eyes were open, he could not see. Now, he couldn't see in the physical realm, but I do believe that he was able to see in the spiritual realm. He was able to see and spend three days mulling over his sin. He realized, I am the one that's wrong. When he heard the words, I am Jesus, he said, wait a minute. If Jesus is alive, speaking to me today, showing himself to me, that means he did raise from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, then everything that was happening in Pentecost was the falling of the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit fell, that means the Messiah came. That means Jesus was the Messiah. Oh no, what have I done? See, he came to this realization that the very God he thought he was serving, he was persecuting. And the word persecuted that Jesus said is like this word goading. I mean, it is literally a to jab, to, to strike, to stab. I mean, it is physical harm. And look at that, how Jesus identifies so well and so much with his own people as Paul was breathing violence and murder, mistreating them, beating, abusing, murdering his, the Christians. Jesus said, it hurt me like if you, you were doing it to me. You weren't just doing it to people, you were doing it to me. Saul must have been disgusted with himself. What have I done? What have I become? And he spent those three days not eating in remorse, repenting of his sin. Notice that Jesus said to Ananias, Saul is there praying. And we don't know what exactly he said, but we're pretty confident in what he was praying about. Pretty sure he was praying for mercy, for grace. He could not imagine, oh my gosh, what have I done? But at the same time, I guarantee you he must have been thinking and mulling over something else, not only the horror of his sin, but also the beauty of Christ. Because for God, and he knows this God, he knows the God of the Old Testament, and the God of the Old Testament is loving, but just. And here is that God revealing himself, and God had every right to kill Saul on the spot. I was like, Saul, for your crimes and your pride and your arrogance, I condemn you to death. And he could have done it at that very moment and Jesus would have been justified. Protecting his own people because of what Saul was doing. I mean, he was a madman. But what did Jesus do instead to someone who was persecuting innocent people, in fact, persecuting Jesus himself? He said, get up and go to the city. I got something for you. He must have stood there and wondered for three days, how am I still alive? How am I still alive? How did Jesus? Jesus should have given me. I deserved judgment. And instead, he extended mercy to me. Who is this God? Who is this Jesus that he would love me in this way? And so, how could he love me knowing the kind of sinner that I was and, and what I was doing? How could he love me? No wonder, no wonder Saul or Paul later on, he, if you're not confused about Saul and Paul, Saul was his Jewish name, Paul was his Roman name, and there was an interchange there, and, and at some point it just stays stuck, Paul. But listen to that. No wonder Paul writes in Ephesians and in Romans and in so many other places, he says, isn't it the kindness of Jesus that leads us to repentance. See, what caused Saul to repent and to turn to Christ? 
it was the kindness that was extended to him. Now, here in America and around the world, if you assault someone, those are some heavy charges. If you assault somebody, oh, it's not uh, minor penalties and fines. And what happens if you assault a head of state? Oh, you know, you could be justified, uh, that, that killing could be justified in that moment if you assaulted a head of state. Well, if we treat people who assault heads of state in this way, then how should someone be treated who has assaulted the creator of the universe, God Almighty, King of kings and Lord of lords? Instead of Jesus killing Saul, he extended kindness to him. And guys, that is something that you and I need to remember as well. Those of us who have believed in Jesus, we didn't believe because we were scared. We didn't believe because, oh my gosh, this, this Jesus, if I'm so, yeah, whatever you want, forgive me, I'm sorry. And, and, and you know, there's some, those who have truly believed, believed in Jesus didn't just do it because they were just trying to get out of hell only. They didn't just do it because they were just terrified of Jesus. I'll do whatever you want, I'll do whatever you say. No. Those who believe in Jesus did it because they were so overwhelmed by his kindness and love towards sinners like us. He is the savior that we don't deserve, but he is the one that we need. And I can see, I can see myself if I was Saul in that moment for those three days mulling over and just, God, I, I don't deserve this. Yet being grateful that I have this. I don't deserve Jesus, but I'm grateful that I have him. In fact, knowing I don't deserve him makes me that much more grateful that I do have him and that he does love me. So after being amazed at the horrors of his sin, Saul was converted because of the love of Jesus and the love of Jesus through Christians. I don't want you to miss that part of the story because he was overwhelmed by the love of Jesus in that moment, the love that was extended to him. But also, you got to ask yourself, he was there for three days, right? Jesus had been dead for three days and rose from the dead. And here's Saul mulling over his sin for three days before he was raised to new life. And what was the turning point? When a disciple named Ananias showed up. A disciple named Ananias was just a regular guy. I mean, this wasn't an apostle. This wasn't this super dude with signs and wonders. This was just a regular disciple. Somebody that Saul was there to kill. So, some were there to, to arrest and bring back to Jerusalem to try him unfairly. Now, for whatever reason, Ananias didn't go running. He stayed there knowing that Saul was on his way to do that. And we can see rightfully so why he was hesitant at first. Uh, Jesus, do you, uh, Holy Spirit, you really want me to go pray for that guy? Uh, I know what he's done. Now, he wasn't aware of what Jesus had done on the road. And that's why he says, oh, Ananias, don't worry. Something has happened to him. He's praying. Something is different. I need you to go pray for him so that he can receive new life and regain his sight. Not just so that he cannot be blind anymore physically, but so that he can no longer be blind spiritually and receive salvation in Jesus' name. And so Ananias goes, and Ananias addressed Saul with the most beautiful greeting. 
Now, to Saul, Ananias was an enemy. And Ananias knew it. He says, apparently you call me an enemy. You view me and have treated people like me as enemies. But he goes, and how does he address Saul? He looks at him, he opens the door, walks in and says, Brother Saul, look at that. He didn't call him an enemy. He was like, oh, look, I'm an enemy, so okay, you're my enemy. No, he says, you're my brother. You may call me and think I may be your enemy, but you are not mine. You're my brother. That, that phrase was just so full of love, and it just must have, again, been another shock into the system of Saul to hear a Christian he knows, he must have known what everything that Saul had done. And when he goes, brother Saul, the forgiveness and the grace that was in that phrase, Jesus has sent me to you. He prays and immediately saved, right? He was saved immediately at that moment by the love of Jesus and the love of a Christian. Now, there's amazing studies that show that that's what God does. It's amazing to see how people get saved. And when you hear someone who's been radically saved, they'll always point you to two things. Number one, them hearing about the gospel, them hearing about the love of God, them hearing about the truth that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Number one. And two, not only about the, the story of the love of God, but the love of God expressed through a believer, through a Christian. There is countless people that have chosen to follow Christ, have been convinced, and the Holy Spirit revealing themselves, opening up their eyes because of Christians, of true believers, the way that they live, the way that they treat those. And when that interaction happens, something, a seed is planted in their hearts and the Holy Spirit opens up their eyes to the message and they believe. And then not only did we see Ananias, but did you see the love of Christians throughout the whole story? Now, those who were on Saul's side are now his enemies, trying to kill him. And you see Barnabas, I mean, going to bat for Saul. As the disciples were rightfully like, listen, uh, I don't know. I don't know if we can trust Saul. I mean, did we not know about the whole, you know, Ananias and Sapphira thing? You know, the, how the Holy Spirit, well, not Holy Spirit, but the devil was trying to infiltrate us through Judas and through them and through Simon the sorcerer. And, you know, Saul, uh, he's faking it. How do we know he's not faking? How do we know he's not pretending to be one of us and he's really, a, you know, wolves and sheep's closing and before you know it, he's going to spring a trap and there we go. Barnabas says, ah, listen, I've seen it. I've seen the transformation in his life. He is not the same. And the disciples, the apostles, embraced Saul and said, I forgive you. I love, we love you too. What an amazing moment there. And amazing to see that the love of disciples trying to save his life, helping him, encouraging him. Guys, it was because of the love of disciples that billions of people today have been impacted by the words of Paul. It's not, it was the Holy Spirit through Paul, but it was the Holy Spirit through the lives of all of these people that encouraged and embraced and, and welcomed Saul into the community of believers. And guys, I, I want you to know that, that, listen, people are watching your testimony. If you're a Christian, I want you to know that you are called to live out and love those in your home, those at your workplace, uh, randomly, wherever you go. You know, you could be having a strike in a conversation or whatever, and it comes out, oh, you're a Christian. Oh, you are? 
oh, well, wow, I've never, never talked to somebody like, I never talked to a Christian. Uh, it was actually nice. I've never, you, you, guys, listen, all right? People are watching us. They are hearing us. And they need to see the love of God. And as Jesus himself said, they will know you are my disciples by what? Your love for one another. And that will open up their eyes to make a decision to follow Christ. Listen, people choose to follow Jesus sometimes. I, I, I kind of think it's a you know, rough analogy the way I buy things from Amazon. You know, when I go to Amazon, I type something in, I do a search, and then I look at reviews. I purchase things sight unseen on Amazon based on the experience of others. And people do the same thing. Your life is a review of the gospel. It's a testimony of the gospel. And people are watching and they're reading. And you know what? Some of them have and will choose to follow Christ when they see the light of the gospel in your life. And they say something is different about you. And so guys, as we look through this, as we kind of wrap up, it's just amazing just to see uh, this one, uh, just bottom line is this transformation that happened all in the life of Paul and the life of so many people here. And, and we see this kind of like kingdom paradox where Jesus would constantly say things like, in the kingdom of God, when you're weak, you're actually strong. You know, when you're poor, you're really rich. And, uh, and we see another paradox here where just this amazing transformation where enemies become family that now love their new enemies. See, the paradox is this. How do people treat their enemies? We treat their enemies cruelly, right? We treat enemies cruelly on the battlefield. We treat them cruelly. But in the kingdom of God, we treat our enemies how? Kindly. Not, cru not cruelly, but kindly. See, here we see, again, enemies have become family. Saul, who was an enemy and calling all these believers enemies, now have been embraced and he's a member of the family of God. And now his old family, his old friends are now his new enemies. But how is now Saul treating enemies? Before he was treating his enemies cruelly. He was treating Christians cruelly. But now because of the love of God, how is he treating his new enemies? Kindly. Loving them, encouraging them, pointing them to Christ. And guys, that is the difference maker. And that makes, uh, that makes us and should cause us to pause and reflect and say, Lord, help me to live in that way. Help me to be kind to people regardless of the kind of person that they are. That is the bottom line. That's the application. That's what we see here through Barnabas and Saul and, 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 and Ananias and the apostles. Listen, we are called to be kind towards people regardless of the kind of person that they are. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for us. Jesus was kind towards you, towards me, despite the kind of sinner that we were. We deserved judgment, and yet he extends mercy. And we see the lives that were transformed because that's what happened. And so that should be the same for us today. If you have unbelievers in your family, at your workplace, if you have unbelievers that follow you online or whatever, listen, again, they're watching you. And so how do we engage non-believers? Not trying to convince them you know, necessarily theoretically, you know, because you can get everything right in theory, but do you have it in practice? That's the key. 
we treat them kindly. If they're cruel to us, we're kind to them. If they hate us, we love them. If they scorn us, we serve them. That is how the light spreads and conquers the darkness. We love others as Jesus has loved us. And how did he love us? By being kind, despite the kind of sinner that we were. And so my challenge to you is this. If you have an unbelieving spouse, unbelieving child, somebody that you're trying to minister to if you're a believer in Christ Jesus right now, be kind. Find ways to love them and, and serve them. Be over the top, be kind towards them and let the love of God lead them into repentance. Now, being kind, listen, being kind sometimes is telling them tough truths. Being kind sometimes is telling them something that they might not like to hear, that they are sinners and that they're, they're, they're wrong. Look, to be kind doesn't necessarily mean that you don't offend somebody like with that, like, oh, you have to be nice. Listen, being nice is one way. We're called to be gracious and, you know, sprinkled with salt. You know, we're supposed to tell the truth in love, speak the truth in love, but you are not loving somebody if you're not speaking truth. In fact, you can probably say, there's nothing more crueler than keeping the truth of Jesus from somebody. Just because you don't want to offend them or lose their friendship, I'm sorry. Sometimes that's what's going to happen. But that's how you plant a seed that somebody else may water. Or you don't even know how many seeds have already been planted in that person's life. And another act of kindness, another repetition of the truth of God could water that and could lead to that moment when their eyes are opened. You never know. And so I want to challenge you to do that. And if you're not a believer in Christ Jesus, I want you to know, despite the kind of person that you are right now, and, you know, you may say, well, I mean, I'm not that bad. You know, all right, well, I understand what you're saying. But the thing is that you don't realize that sin is worse than you think. Sin is an assault on God. And we talked about if you assault the head of state, what's going to happen to you? Well, I want you to know your sin, regardless if it's small, you know, if you go and slap the president of the United States right now, oh, uh, you're going to spend more than a week in jail. Even a tiny white lie is more, is more than a slap to God himself. Your sin is worse than you think it is, but the love of Jesus is better than you can ever imagine. Recognize that. Mourn the horror of your sin and be amazed at the beauty of Christ. Repent of your sins and, and recognize that you need him and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I give you my life. Fill me with your spirit and help me to follow you. That is the most important decision you need to make because there is a, a road that you need to be on. Do you guys remember that in the story there was, Paul was, well, Saul found himself on a street called Straight. That's where Ananias had to go, to a house on a street called Straight. Well, Another fun fact for you, you know the longest story in the Bible, you know the second longest, well, longest narrative in the New Testament, second longest narrative in the New Testament. And now, here's another random fun fact. The street called Straight is one of the most longest, most occupied, excuse me, most occupied streets in history. It's still, in 2022, in my recording, that street still exists today. It is one of the most longest, most operated, occupied streets in the world. Uh, it's not the only one, though. 
there's another ancient street that still exists today. And it's called the way. It's called Jesus. Jesus is the only way that leads straight into the Father's arms. The only way that leads straight to salvation, it's Jesus. That's it. And when you follow the way by believing in Christ and applying the truth of God, cherishing both God's word, God's people, following his spirit, when you do those, he straightens you out along the way. You won't be perfect, but he is straightening you out when you do. And if you are finding yourself right now, if you find yourself on the wrong way, not going in that way, I challenge you to do the same thing that Saul did. Get off your high horse and recognize that there is no one and none other than Jesus, that he is the son of God and that he can forgive you of your sins and in him, in him there is life and life eternal. And if you believe that, well, I want to encourage you one last time. As you follow the way, I want you to know that you won't get everything right along the way. There'll be moments when you get things wrong along the way. But when you do, remember the words of Paul when he realized there is no condemnation in Christ. There's no condemnation in those that are in Christ Jesus. That even as God is straightening us out, as he's straightening us out, and you realize that there's more wrong that needs to be done, listen, don't mull over it. Don't stay there. Don't sink. Surrender it to Christ. Keep your eyes on him. If you trip and fall, get up and look to Christ. If you see that there is more under the surface than there ever was, give it to him. Run to him and praise his name, knowing that he is enough that your sins are forgiven and that there is nothing that will ever separate you from the love of God. This is the kind of savior that invites us to follow him and to walk on the way. As we wrap up, I just want to encourage you with those things. All right. There is a way, a new way, and in fact, it's the only way. And his name is Jesus. Trust in him. Follow him. Put him at the center. And you're going to see the kindness of God conform and transform your life more and more. Because as he is changing your life, you know what's going to happen? He's changing other people's lives. And as he changes other people's lives, you know what God is doing? He's making history. He is making history through people like you and me.